Yeah. This be a life, no gimmick. And just like that, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Welcome back to the Triple S Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smith. And I just want to start this episode off by saying uh, thank you for you, for those of you who are still watching the podcast. You know, I took a good amount of time off. As I said on Instagram, you know, I had a lot of stuff that was going on in my life. Not to make any excuses, but, you know, the podcast kind of went on the back burner for a while. But I'm very glad to be back in doing this. I had a lot of fun doing it before. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff had come up. So very, very glad to get back into it. Uh, For those of you who haven't seen my latest Instagram posts, please feel free to go and check that out. Follow me on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to the channel as well. Um, I kind of went through what the channel is going to look like moving forward. So it's going to be a bit different than it was before. Before, it was more so focused on guests. You know, I had the odd uh, NFL recap. And in in a lot of ways, it just kind of felt too scripted. Even though I never really had an actual script. It just didn't feel as natural. So what I kind of decided to do was from now on, you know, once a week, I'll try and hop on here and give you guys pretty much a rundown of the week in sports, kind of just go off the top of the head, freestyle, uh, talk about some of my favorite sports. That's going to include the NFL. That's going to include college football, UFC, some soccer leagues as well, and a little bit of NBA as well. So pretty much just going to freestyle, talk about sports, the week that's passed and the week that's coming up, and uh, we'll go from there. I I think I still will have the odd guest on as well, and uh, also we'll have some special episodes that are not just, you know, the week in sports, the review, and the week ahead. So uh, look forward to those as well. So without further ado, uh, let me get into this week in the NFL. So we just had week 14, and as a Dolphins fan, it started off in a great way with a Patriots loss. Uh, They took on the LA Rams, who they had beat in the Super Bowl a couple years back, and the Rams got their revenge. Uh, They won 24-3, and I I saw a lot of memes about how, you know, the Patriots had just beat, you know, the little brother LA team 45-0. They beat the Chargers last week. They returned to LA again. Actually, I think they just stayed in LA for the week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just to get dummied by the big brother LA Rams 24 to 3 Jared Goff got his revenge Sean McVay got his revenge that was a great way to start week 14 always nice to see the Patriots losing while it was really nice to see the Patriots lose a game uh kind of had to pay for it on Sunday the Dolphins ended up taking a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs defending champions 33 to 27 but let me just say that was a better game than I think I well definitely than than what I thought was going to happen and what I think a lot of people thought would have been put on the field on, in that game. You know, the Chiefs are widely considered to be the best team in the NFL and the Dolphins are not quite considered to be at that level yet. So, you know, a lot of people probably expected the Chiefs to kind of just steamroll the Dolphins. The Dolphins actually jumped out to a 10-nothing lead, but you know, against the Chiefs that doesn't mean much. Uh Chiefs came back and scored 30 straight. But then the Dolphins scored two touchdowns and a field goal, you know, brought it a little bit closer. Final score was 33 to 27, as I said. So it was a pretty good game. And on top of that, going into that game in week 14, Patrick Mahomes had two interceptions on the year. The Miami Dolphins intercepted him three times. Xavier Howard got his ninth interception on the season. Byron Jones got his first in like three years, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Eric Rowe got one as well. So that was a, a pretty good showing for the Dolphins. 
but at the end of the day, an L is an L, so not too great. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the Tennessee Titans. They got a big W, continuing to push for a playoff spot, continuing to keep that distance between them and the Colts. I know that they have the same record, but you know they have a tiebreaker over them in terms of conference record. So they, if they keep winning, they can win that division, if, even if the Colts keep winning. Uh, Derrick Henry had a monster game, 215 yards rushing and two total touchdowns. And that game kind of made me revisit a question that a lot of people tend to ask. Is Derrick Henry the best running back in the league? It's hard to argue it because he has so many 200-yard games and all those 90-plus yard touchdowns. But one thing I'll say is that one of my friends actually brought this up to me a little while ago. He said, I can't consider Derrick Henry to be the best running back in the game when he's not effective to his team in the last two minutes if they're down and they don't have many timeouts. Like in, in crunch time of a close game and we are in a passing situation, he's not the most effective back. Whereas a guy like, say, Christian McCaffrey or maybe Dar um, Dalvin Cook would be more effective in those kind of situations. So I'm not sure if I can say Derrick Henry's the best or not, but he had a great game nonetheless. Speaking of great games, Drew Locke led the Denver Broncos. He had four touchdowns, 280 yards against the Carolina Panthers. Big game for him. Uh, is Drew Locke for real? Nah. <laughs> this was a great game for him, but don't get it twisted. You know, he's playing the Carolina Panthers, who are last place in the uh, NFC in terms of playoff standings right now. Even though there's so many crap teams in the NFC East. The Panthers somehow, when I look today, were behind all of them. I'm not sure how that's even possible, but it is. Uh, I still don't consider Drew Locke to be for real. You know, he has a lot of up and downs. When he plays strong teams, he doesn't really perform well. But got to give it to him. He played well on Sunday. Four touchdowns is nothing to scoff at. So congrats to Drew Locke. Now, you know you're in a weird week in the NFL when Drew Locke wins a game and throws for four touchdowns, no picks, and Deshaun Watson loses 36-7 to to Mitch Trubisky. That is a weird week in the NFL. But, you know, it's been that kind of season for the Texans. Uh, I think, you know, Deshaun Watson, if I'm, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm trying to get the hell out of the uh, Texans. Either get me a, a legitimate receiver and a legitimate coach, legitimate GM, get me some stuff around me, or I'm out. But, I mean, he just got paid, so that's going to be tough to swing. And I thought that one of the more interesting things about this game, you know, 36-7, the Chicago Bears down the Houston Texans. Trubisky was the quarterback that the Chicago Bears traded from 3-2, to two, second overall, to pick him. They passed up on Patrick Mahomes. They passed up on Deshaun Watson. I think maybe Trubisky had a little bit of, you know, that feeling in him, like, yo, let me show what I can do. Let me show that I wasn't, it wasn't a mistake to take me before Deshaun. You know, it's not really a fair comparison because Deshaun's weapons are completely depleted, but nonetheless, Trubisky held it down, had three touchdowns. And I mean, even if Nick Foles becomes healthy, if I'm Matt Nagy, I'm sticking with Trubisky. He's looked good lately. Some other notable stuff around the league, the Indianapolis Colts had a huge win, keeping pace with the Tennessee Titans in the AFC South. They beat the Las Vegas Raiders 44-27. to That defense is no joke. Uh, every time I watch that, that defense play, I marvel at DeForest Buckner. That man is a force in the middle of the defense. Uh, Kenny Moore, the nickel corner for the Indianapolis Colts, I think is severely underrated. Even though you know he's considered to be one of the best nickel corners in the game, but I honestly think that he's one of the top corners or DBs in general in the game. I would probably put him in my top 
15 or 20 if I was going to make one. Uh, he, he had a really, really nice one-handed interception of Derek Carr in the end zone. It looked a lot like Xavier Howard's. You know, I'm a little biased, so I'll give I'll give the nod to Xavier, but Kenny Moore's was really nice as well. And uh, this game, to me, kind of made me think that maybe the Vegas Raiders are in trouble. You know, they've, they've had a couple games. You know, they almost lost to the Jets. Now they get semi-blown out against the uh, the Raiders. They might be in trouble. You know, they're, go- they're looking for a playoff push, but we'll see. I don't know. The next two games I'm going to talk about had a lot to do with each other in terms of the NFC playoff picture. So I'll start off with the Packers against the Lions. The Packers got a win 31-24. Aaron Rodgers, you know, continued to look like an MVP to be honest, right now, between him and Mahomes, I'm not sure. You know, Russ was in that race at first, but he definitely dropped out. Aaron Rodgers, though, four touchdowns, three passing, one rushing. Devontae Adams looked like one of the best in the league, if not the best. Uh, they had a really great game offensively, like they usually do. And uh, one thing, I'm not sure if anyone else noticed this, but Tavon Austin is now a Green Bay Packer. Uh, he used to be a, like a favorite of mine when he was in college at West Virginia. Cool to see him uh, being picked up. And I think he had two receptions for eight yards or something like that. So they actually use him a little bit. And the next game, so with that win, the Green Bay Packers continued to push for that first spot in the AFC or the NFC, excuse me, uh, to try and get that bye week in the first week of the playoffs. They were helped out by Jalen Hurts in his first career start, who had a 24 to 21 win over the New Orleans Saints, who were previously in the NFC's top spot. It was an underwhelming game for Jalen Hurts in some respects, like passing. He had under 200 yards, only one touchdown, but he added 100 yards on the ground and looked really, really effective. He knew when to get out of the pocket. He knew when to throw the ball away. He looked a lot better than Carson Wentz had looked. And in all honesty, Taysom Hill looked a lot closer to what Carson Wentz had looked like before he got benched. Taysom Hill took a whole bunch of sacks, held the ball too long a lot like Carson Wentz used to do when he was starting for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. (sighs) This next game is a little tough to talk about, uh, but, you know, it's got to be done. The Buffalo Bills had an impressive, a very, very impressive win, 26-15 over the Pittsburgh Steelers, giving Pittsburgh their second loss in a row after starting 11-0. You know, a lot of people had Pittsburgh, oh my God, Pittsburgh looks so good. Uh, and now they come out and lose two straight. Uh, the first loss was a lot more surprising to a lot of people, I think, losing to Washington. A lot of people probably were like, Yo, this is going to be, you know, even though Pittsburgh hasn't looked great as an 11-0 team, uh, or I guess it would have been, yeah, 11-0 at the time, they didn't look great. You know, Washington, you know, NFC East, or should I say NFC least, they'll get this win, they'll move to 12-0, but no, Washington stunned them. Now, they had to go to Buffalo, a very impressive-looking AFC team, and what do you know? They take another loss, dropping two in a row and moving out of the first seed in the AFC. As a Dolphins fan, I have to say it's very hard to support, you know, the Patriots, the Bills, or the Jets, but, you know, I have to be impartial here and say I've been really, really impressed all season long by the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen has been very, very impressive I really think Sean McDermott should be in consideration for Coach of the Year. He's had that team looking very sharp, game in, game out. And uh, credit credit where credit's due. The Buffalo Bills have looked very good, and they're a team to mess with down the line. And the last game of the week in Week 14, Monday night we had a thriller. Lamar Jackson versus Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. 
That game was back and forth. Cleveland had the game at some points. Baltimore stormed back. Lamar Jackson had to leave the game with cramps. Some people thought he was pulling a Paul Pierce, had to take a dookie. He, he, he denied the claims, but I guess we'll never know, as Kanye West would say. Uh, but that was a great game. Final score was 47-42. to 42. And after that game ended, the question that I was left with was, why did the Cleveland Browns go away from Nick Chubb? He was having a lot of success early. He had two touchdowns. And then all of a sudden, it seemed to be the Kareem Hunt show. And while Kareem Hunt had his success as well, you know, Nick Chubb seemed to get less and less touches as the game progressed. So that was a little bit confusing to me. Not sure if, you know, that would have changed the outcome, but just something I wanted to take note of. He had a lot of carries, a lot of touches at the beginning of the game. And as the game went on, it seemed to dip a little bit. And for the Baltimore Ravens, I don't know if it was just me, but, you know, I looked up at the scoreboard at the end of the game and saw that 47 and out. It just didn't seem like that was a 47-point game for them. Uh, Lamar was looking very inaccurate at times. He missed some open throws. He had Mark Andrews at one point for a touchdown on a deep ball, overthrew him. Hollywood Brown had about three or four drops. You know, it wasn't wasn't like it was a flawless offensive performance, but nonetheless, they still were able to put up 47 points. And, you know, it helps when your quarterback can run for over 100 yards and pretty much be, you know, the catalyst in the run game. And, you know, even though the pass game wasn't that strong, he's the catalyst in both facets. So, you know, tough to defend that kind of offense. Looking ahead to week 15, I'm going to give you guys my top three games and just a little bit of storyline around, you know, NFL in week 15. So I'm going to start off, you know, you might think it's because I'm a Dolphins fan, but I just think this is going to be a good game, whether I was a Dolphins fan or not. We have the New England Patriots coming to Miami to play the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Miami's going to be wearing their throwback uniforms. And for those of you that remember, a couple years ago, the Miami Miracle went down in Miami. Miami was wearing their throwback uniforms. So a little bit of magic might be in the air. We'll see what happens in that game. A lot of playoff implications. Miami has Baltimore breathing down their necks for that seventh seed in the AFC playoffs. So this is a big game for them. And, you know, the Patriots are not down and out just yet. They still have a slither of hope to make the playoffs. So they're going to be fighting with all they got in this game as well. Next game I want to talk about, Philadelphia Eagles versus the Arizona Cardinals. This is going to be a fun game for me because you have two mobile quarterbacks, two quarterbacks that are very dynamic and exciting to watch. Uh, Every time I get a chance, I like to watch Kyler Murray play, especially now that he's got DeAndre Hopkins to throw the ball to. Their defense is a little exciting to watch, too. They got guys like Buda Baker, uh, Patrick Peterson as well, Hassan Reddick coming off the edge. So that's going to be an exciting game. And let's see if Jalen Hurts can keep the ball rolling and keep the Eagles in that NFC least uh, division race. And last but not least, my pick for the game of the week in the NFL for Week 15, the Kansas City Chiefs take on the New Orleans Saints. Now, this game can be really, really huge if Drew Brees comes back from his rib and, you know, abdomen injury. Uh, I think he also had a punctured lung. With Taysom Hill in the lineup for the Saints, they're a lot less competitive. Uh, You know, that would probably be a lot easier game for the Chiefs should Taysom Hill be the starter. But look for Drew Brees to come back. I think there were some murmurs that, you know, they're only going to bring him back if he's 100% healthy and Hopefully he's ready to go because I would really love to watch uh, Patrick Mahomes take on Drew Brees. And I mean, just think about it. Drew Brees is getting up there in age. Patrick Mahomes plays in the AFC. 
Uh, Drew Brees plays in the NFC. There's not going to be many more opportunities for us to see these kind of matchups. We got to really appreciate them while they happen. So to see Drew Brees, one of the all-time greats, against Patrick Mahomes, one of the current greats, would be a really, really cool matchup. And if it doesn't happen this year, who knows if we'll ever get to see it again. So I want to talk a little bit about college football now. So there's a couple of noteworthy games that I want to touch on from this past week. And I just want to touch on a couple of games that are going to be going on today. Saturday is when you guys should be watching this, uh, when the video will drop. So last week, one of the really, really cool games that I watched, I actually watched the full game, was UNC versus Miami. That was a really, really big ACC game. Miami came into the game, you know, ranked number 10. UNC came into the game ranked number 17. Miami was a huge favorite. The game was played at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. And the game ended up being 62 to 26. UNC absolutely clapped Miami. And how about this for a stat? The quarterback for UNC, Sam Howell, had 223 yards, one touchdown. You might be asking, how the hell did they put up 62 points? Their quarterback had one touchdown on 223 yards passing. The rushing attack for UNC was in full effect. Michael Carter had 24 carries for 308 yards and two touchdowns. Javante Williams had 23 carries for 236 yards and three touchdowns. That's two running backs combining for 540-something yards rushing. That is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know if that's ever happened before. If it has, then I just haven't heard about it, but that was pretty crazy to me. A really, really impressive rushing attack for UNC. And they did it against a really good contending team as well. So it was a really, really good showing for UNC. The next game in college football that I want to talk about was a huge upset in the SEC. The Florida Gators, who were ranked number six. They have been having a really, really good season. Kyle Trask has been looking like a first-round pick in the NFL draft for 2021. And on the other side, the LSU Tigers, who were 3-5 and five coming into this game. They had looked really bad. You know, they had a lot of opt-outs. Jamar Chase opted out. A lot of their best players, you know, they had a bunch of freshman quarterbacks. Didn't look good. LSU pulls out a 37-34 win. And the play of the game, I'll put a little clip of it or a picture of it right, right here in the, uh, in the video. LSU is driving for a potential game-winning touchdown or field goal. The score was 34-34. The Florida Gators get a stop on third down. LSU is going to have to punt the ball. And what does Florida's DB do? He grabs the LSU receiver's shoe and throws it 30 yards down the field. Gets flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct, extends the drive. LSU goes on to hit a 50-plus yard field goal to take the lead, 37-34. There was under a minute left at this time, and Florida actually somehow got into field goal range and kicked their own 50-yard field goal to potentially force overtime. They missed wide left. LSU wins. Down goes Florida. And so do their hopes at getting into the college football playoff. Devastating loss for the Florida Gators. And better believe that everyone in that Florida locker room is going to be looking at the DB who threw the shoe. I cannot understand what he was thinking. But, I mean, I've seen a lot of bonehead plays in my day. Now, a look ahead to this upcoming week in college football. So I know I just said that Florida somewhat flushed their chances of getting into the college football playoff down the drain, but they do still have a slither of a chance. They play Alabama on Saturday, uh, and I believe it's a home game if I'm not mistaken. Let me check that out. But 
if they are able to take down number one ranked Alabama, that would be, you know, that would be a huge, huge feather in their cap uh, when the playoff committee, the playoff selection committee, my, uh, excuse me, is looking at who to put into that fourth spot for the playoffs. If Florida can can put up an impressive showing against Alabama and beat them, I think that there's a slight chance that they can slide in. And they're going to be helped out if, if they can get the win. They may be helped out because Clemson plays Notre Dame again on Saturday. And those, that's the two versus the number three. Clemson is ranked three. Notre Dame is ranked two. Now, if one of those teams wins resoundingly, the other has a potential, potential if it's a resounding win, to lose out and move out of the top four for the college football playoff. So Florida has an outside lane chance at potentially getting in, even though they just lost. Now, is that chance very high? I don't think so, because A, you have to beat Alabama, and you have to hope that you know Notre Dame or Clemson wins big. But it is possible nonetheless. Uh, Ohio State is also playing. That's my team in college football. They play Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. There's a lot of controversy around whether Ohio State should even be able to play in that Big Ten Championship and subsequently be able to play in the college football playoff. Now, the claim is that they don't have enough games played. They don't have a strong enough resume to be able to play in the college football playoff. What a lot of people don't realize is a lot of their games that were canceled were not their fault. It was not their choice. Their game against Maryland was canceled because of Maryland having COVID issues. Their game against Michigan was canceled for the same reason. But I want to talk a little bit about that Michigan game for a second because there was a little bit of stories that came out that I think you guys are going to find interesting. So Michigan and Ohio State were supposed to play in what's considered the game. Uh, They have it every year. It's a rivalry game. Uh, That was supposed to go down this past Saturday. So here's a little timeline of how, you know, the game got shut down. So on Monday, uh, Michigan was approved for light on-field work. Uh, Then Tuesday, they apparently had so many cases that they shut down the facility. And Tuesday is when the game was determined to be canceled. Wednesday, there was no news. Thursday and Friday, they were approved to return and start practicing again. And yet the game on Saturday remained canceled. Now, this would have been all well and good if not for the fact that on Sunday, Michigan held a practice. Now, if your team is too sick and you know, you're know you too COVID-ridden to have a game on Saturday, then why are you putting your team at risk on Sunday and having a practice? A lot of people are making the claim that you know Michigan... As a rival of Ohio State, they knew the rule that you had to play a certain amount of games to be eligible for the Big Ten championship game and to be eligible for the college football playoff. And they didn't want their rival to be getting that kind of those kind of accolades and those opportunities to play in those big games. So they forfeited the game, even though they could have potentially played. Now, in my opinion, I'm a little biased. I'm an Ohio State fan. But if you're good enough to practice with your team on Sunday, what stopped you from playing on, on uh, Saturday, especially when you were approved the Thursday and Friday beforehand? To me, it screams scared. It screams uh, bitter because Michigan had a really bad year this year. Uh, I honestly don't know how Jim Harbaugh is still around there. He hasn't beat Ohio State once, and I think the man was just salty in all honesty. The best part about this whole story is that despite all of Jim Harbaugh's salt, the Big Ten Athletic Commissioner Uh, There was a big vote, and they actually decided that Ohio State would still be allowed to participate in the Big Ten Championship, 
And the funniest thing to me is that even when that happened, some people were upset. Oh, you're bending the rules for Ohio State. Well, to be honest, it wasn't their fault that they didn't get the required amount of games in. They had two games canceled that were not uh, their own doing. And they were prepared to play those two games. And if you're being honest with yourself, they're clearly the best team in the Big Ten. So to not have them in the Big Ten Championship on some kind of formality would be pretty devastating. In terms of other games with some college football playoff implications, uh, I touched briefly on the Clemson versus Notre Dame game earlier. Uh, Like I said, that's the two versus the three seed. A lot, a lot, a lot of college football playoff implications there. I do believe there's a chance uh, that both of those teams end up in the college football playoff. I'll talk about that in just a second, though. But one thing I find really interesting about this game is that when these teams played earlier in the year, Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback for Clemson, was out with COVID-19. They had DJ Ugdalele, I hope I pronounced that right, step in. He actually played pretty well, but it wasn't enough to get past Ian Book in the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. This game, Trevor Lawrence will be back. So this is going to be a really, really interesting game to watch. I'm going to be glued to my TV if I'm going to be around on Saturday to watch it. So really excited to see that game go down. And the other game with really, really big playoff implications is the number five ranked Texas A&M Aggies going up against the Tennessee Volunteers. So that game can be huge. I think Texas A&M has an outside shot to get in for the same reasons that I believe Florida does. Let's say Alabama beats Florida. Uh, Let's say Clemson just completely obliterates Notre Dame and Ohio State has a really strong showing against Northwestern. If Texas A&M is deemed by the committee to look better than Notre Dame had looked, I think there's a slight chance that they could slide into the number four Maybe Ohio State moves down to the number three and Clemson moves into the number two behind Alabama. Uh, What I think, though, is the most likely scenario to happen is that I believe Clemson will probably beat Notre Dame in a tight game. Alabama beats Florida. Ohio State wins the Big Ten and beats Northwestern. And the top four for the college football playoff, in my opinion, will be one Alabama, two Clemson, three Ohio State and four Notre Dame. And if that ends up being the top four, that would be so, so interesting because for those of you that remember last year, Ohio State played Clemson in the uh, college football uh, playoff semifinal and lost in an absolute thriller. That was a great game. Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. uh, Those are probably going to be the top two picks in this upcoming 2021 NFL draft. They played then. Trevor Lawrence got the best of him. It would be so cool to see a rematch and see how Justin Fields fares, can see if he can get his revenge as well against uh, Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers. All right, so now I want to talk a little bit about one of the sports that I've really started getting into lately. Uh, Never thought that I would be the type of guy to get into this sport, but the UFC has really started to captivate me. It's a really, really exciting sport. Anyone who doesn't watch it, I highly recommend it. So this past Saturday, we had the last pay-per-view event of the year. It was headlined by Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. And the main card really started off with a bang. So the first fight of the main card was Cyril Gagne, who I had never heard of before, I'll be honest, fighting JDS Junior DeSantos, who I had watched a couple times previous to this fight. And I was really impressed. This was a heavyweight fight. I was really impressed by both guys, their ability to throw kicks. They were both very agile for heavier guys. And in the end, Cyril Gagne uh, got a really, really nasty KO shot against Junior DeSantos, got the win, moved to 7-0. and 
It was really impressive for my first time seeing Cyril Gagne. I'm gonna definitely try and watch him when he pops up moving in the future. Next fight on the main card, we had a middleweight fight between Kevin Holland and Ronaldo Souza. This fight was absolutely nasty. The Kevin Holland knockout was crazy. Happened in round one. And honestly, when it happened, I wasn't sure if Ronaldo Souza would ever like fight again or even be all right after that. Kevin Holland absolutely destroyed him. That was way a crazy way to, to start the main card with two knockouts. One in the second round and then in the first round. Now the next fight uh, was Mackenzie Dern versus, I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try, Verna Janjiroba. This fight went all the way to decision and... One of the things that I really thought was interesting that the commentators were saying was that these were two fighters that are really, really good at Brazilian jiu-jitsu, grappling, the ground game. And for the most part, the fight took place on the stand-up game. There wasn't a lot of grappling. There wasn't a lot of, of ground game. Uh, and they were kind of saying that a lot of times when both fighters have so much respect for the other's ground game, they think, okay, let me just keep it in the stand-up and see how we do there because they're both kind of timid to what the other can do on the ground in the end Mackenzie Dern this fight went all the way to, to the end of the third round went to decision she got the win uh, I have seen her fight a couple times and she's got some nasty submissions she's exciting to watch so it's cool to see her get a win but John Jaroba did look impressive she had a little afro going on uh, definitely going to try and watch her moving forward as well but props to Mackenzie Dern she had a well-earned decision the next fight was the co-main event, we had Tony Ferguson against Charles Oliveira. This was probably the main reason I tuned in to watch this card. I'm a big Tony Ferguson fan, but unfortunately, he took an L against Charles Oliveira. And the fact that this fight went to decision was absolutely crazy. I'm going to pop up a picture. If you're watching on YouTube and you get kind of squeamish, I'm going to warn you now. Look away. So the picture that I'm popping up right now is of Charles Oliveira having Tony Ferguson in an armbar. I believe it was at the end of the first or second round. He had Tony Ferguson in, he, he had him in an armbar, plain and simple. Most people will tap out immediately once they know that they're, took it in an, they're taken in an armbar. Tony Ferguson has a mind of steel. This man's arm was hyperextended, literally hyperextended. He didn't throw any punches with that arm for the rest of the fight. But he did not tap out. He was in that armbar for about 7 to 10 seconds. Heart of a champion. But nonetheless, it wasn't enough. Charles Oliveira looked faster. He looked stronger. Younger fighter than Tony Ferguson is. And you know he, he came out with the W. It was well deserved. And now for, for Tony Ferguson, you know, you got to ask what's coming next. He's 36. He just lost the interim title bout against Justin Gaethje. Now he loses to Charles Oliveira. Where is his mind at? Is he going to be ready to come back and fight again and be, you know, a contender for that lightweight belt? Who knows? I hope so because I'm a Tony Ferguson fan, but I guess we'll see. And last but most definitely not least, this fight, a lot of people have been saying that it's giving uh, Zhang Wei Li and Joanna and Jacek a run for their money for fight of the year. I personally would still give it to Joanna and uh, Zhang Wei Li. But this fight was absolutely amazing as well. Davison Figueredo took on Brandon Moreno. And the crazy thing about this fight is that both of these guys literally fought on the last UFC pay-per-view card. This was UFC 256. They both fought on UFC 255. At 255, 
Uh, Davison Figueredo defended his title against Alex Perez. He had a dominating submission win. I believe it was in round one, might have been round two. And on that same card, Brandon Moreno in the uh, prelims beat Brandon Royval, who was an up-and-coming fighter who just beat Kai Carla France. Uh, so Brandon Moreno, get, Moreno excuse me, getting that win was really impressive as well. And both guys wanted to run it back really quickly and get right back into the octagon and fight again for the flyweight championship. And they did just that. It was a crazy, crazy fight. Went the distance, which I did not expect. Davison Figueredo is a KO artist at flyweight. He's a big man for flyweight. Uh, he, just so you guys know, he walks around at about 150 to 160 pounds. Flyweight, you fight at 125. So he usually goes into the cage with a pretty big weight advantage. Uh, but the one thing, though, that was brought up is that while he usually has that huge weight advantage, you know, the weight cut, having to do it twice in a matter of one month, because he had just fought November 21st. That last fight was only on December 12th. So that's under a month. That's three weeks time. So to have to cut all that weight twice in three weeks, maybe that's why he wasn't able to secure a knockout. He did get some huge shots on Moreno, but never enough to knock him out. And let me just say, Moreno, I did not expect that type of performance. He, he looked really good against Brandon Royval, but I did not think he was going to look that good against the champ. The, the final scorecards for the judges, one judge had the advantage going to Davison Figueredo by one round. The other two judges scored the contest a draw. So it was a majority draw, no winner, no loser. But since it's a majority draw, Davison Figueredo retained his flyweight title. Now, I mean, everyone and everyone is going to assume that they're going to run it back immediately and, you know, have another fight right away. But I think they're going to wait a little bit, uh, make sure that they can get a good camp in. You know, they just fought, tw they each just fought twice in a short span of time. I think a lot of us would like to see them each have, you know, a couple months off, recuperate, have a really good camp, and then run it back at full strength. And I'm really excited to see them run it back. That was a great fight. A lot of people on social media were saying that they thought Brandon Morono was robbed and that he actually won the fight. Hard to judge how much credit you can give to that because you know anyone and everyone can put whatever they want to say on social media. And I've also noticed a trend where anytime a champion fights and it goes to decision, and unless it's a convincing win for the champion, people are going to say that the challenger got robbed. You know, every time John Jones fights and goes to decision, he he uh, he robbed you know the the challenger that he was fighting in that particular fight. Even if you know avid UFC fans would know, you know, you know what John Jones probably did win that fight. Now, with that being said. I do want to just make a quick note and say that the UFC judges at times can be trash. They can be absolute trash at times. There's been some times where, you know, you see a round that you think should be a 10-8 or, you know, there's a fight that was dominated through and through, a three-round fight. One guy won every round convincingly and then they go to the scorecards and it's 29-28, 30-27, 29-28. It's like, what were those two judges think? What round did you give the guy that lost? There's a lot of times where I where I look at a fight and I'm wondering, how did they get that score? Like, how did they get that score? So, all in all, it was a great card. You know, great last pay-per-view for the year 2020. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the last card in general for the year 2020. It's a UFC fight night, Thompson versus Neil. So, this is a very, very 
very good card. This card, to me, if it had a championship fight instead of Thompson versus Neil, to be honest, this kind of looks like a pay-per-view kind of card. There's a lot of big names on this card, a lot of really good fights that I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, so, you know, today is Saturday, so we're going to see these, these fights start. And one thing that I thought was really interesting, just before we get into the fights, is that the prelims start at 4 p.m. and the main card starts at 7 so that's really cool. Usually the prelims will start at about 6 or so, and the main card will start at about 10. But, you know, the UFC is going to give this one to us early. So it's going to start, and it's probably not going to end too, too late, which is nice. And the main card starts off with a pretty good fight. We have Anthony Pettis versus Alex Morono at uh, welterweight. Pettis has a, is a very, very good fighter. You know, some say his best days are behind him. But it's going to be exciting to see him get back in the cage and see what he can do. Uh, other exciting fights on the car, we have Martian Tabura versus Greg Hardy. For those of you who are uh, you know, NFL fans, you might recognize that name, Greg Hardy, former Carolina Panther, Dallas Cowboy. He had his troubles in the NFL, you know, staying off the drugs and staying out of trouble. So he thought, you know what, I'm just going to go and be in the UFC, see what I can do there. And he's actually been pretty exciting so far. He's 7-2 at heavyweight, uh, and he's, he's shown a lot of power. He's got to refine his skills a little bit. And he's fighting Marcin Tabura, who I think is one of the really the best heavyweights right now. Uh, I think he's up and coming. Very flexible for a heavyweight. He throws good kicks. So that's going to be an exciting fight. Uh, one of the knocks on Greg Hardy has been his gas tank. You know, does he have enough to, to make it like three rounds and, and fight hard for three rounds? So that might be put to the test against uh, Marcin Tabura if he can't knock him out right away. <clears throat> The next fight is really, really exciting to me. We have Marlon Marais versus Rob Font at Bantamweight. I'm a big fan of Marlon Marais. He just had a tough fight not too long ago against Cody Sanhagen. Uh, Cody Sanhagen was able to knock him out, though. Uh, but before that knockout, you know, Marlon Marais looked pretty strong. He looked like the, uh, the Marlon Marais of old, you know, that was contending for championships and winning championships. So I think that, you know, despite being knocked out in his last fight, I think that he still has something left in him, and I'm excited to see what he can do against Rob Font. Uh, all honesty, you know, I haven't watched a lot of Rob Font, but I've heard good things, so it should be a good test for Marlon Marais. Now, the last three fights of this card, I think, is where we're going to get really, really exciting. So the third last fight, we have Michelle Pereira against Kaylin Williams uh, at welterweight. Michelle Pereira is a really, really exciting fighter. You know, I've watched his highlights, and I've watched him fight, I think, twice now. And every time I seem to see him uh, in a fight, he does something crazy. I've seen him pull off backflip kicks. I've seen him do a lot of spinning attacks. Uh, he's a really exciting fighter when he's in the cage, and I'm excited to see what he can do against Kalen Williams, who's 11-1. and one. Uh, Both guys are kind of young. You know, I, initially when I watched Michel Pereira, I thought he was an older guy because he has so many fights. He's 24-11. and 11. Uh, versus Kalen Williams, who's 11 and 1. But, you know, Michelle Pereira is only 27. Kalen Williams is 26. So this should be a good fight amongst two young guys. Haven't watched a lot of Kalen Williams, as I said, but excited to see what he can do and, uh, you know, get to know him a little bit. The, now for the co-main event, we have Jose Aldo versus Marlon Chido Vera. This is a really, really interesting fight to me. Uh, Jose Aldo is one of those guys who's kind of on his way out. He's been on a, quite, quite a bit of a losing streak. Um, 
I know he does have some wins in his record as of late, but if you look at his last 10 fights or so, there's more losses and wins. And, you know, whenever you see that with an older fighter, you kind of start to ask the question, is he on his way out? Is he still at his peak? I don't think that Jose Aldo is at peak Jose Aldo. And I think that Marlon Chido Vera, who's coming off a huge win against Sugar Sean O'Malley, is an up-and-coming fighter. Just a little side note for this fight for anyone who likes sports betting. Uh, Jose Aldo is favored to win this fight. I believe he's a plus 125, or sorry, a minus 125 favorite to Marlon Chido Vera. I think I'm going to be putting, you know, a little 20, 20, 30 piece on Marlon Vera because I think that's a pretty good bet. Uh, he's, in my opinion, the you know the younger, the faster, the more um, the more up and coming guy right now. So I like my odds going with Marlon Vera. Of course, if you're going to put any bets down, you know, do them at, their, at your own risk. This is just a little bit of advice and letting you know what I'm going to be doing. And for the headliner of the last card of 2020, we have Steven Wonderboy Thompson taking on Jeff Neal. This is going to be a banger. Steven Wonderboy Thompson is a really good fighter. You know, he's very technically sound. He's got good spinning attacks, uh, good kicks. And Jeff Neal is just a head banger. This guy throws bombs. He's got dynamite in his mitts. Uh, so I'm excited to see what's going to happen in this fight. I think that if Jeff Neal connects a couple times, uh, you know, we, we've already seen Stephen Wonderboy Thompson be KO'd before. So I think if Jeff Neal can connect a couple times, he can get Stephen Thompson out of there. But don't sleep on Wonderboy. He's very technically sound. If he keeps his distance, I believe he'll have the reach advantage over Jeff Neal. You know, if he can keep his distance... And, you know, uses kicks effectively. There's no telling what could happen. He might even be able to knock out Jeff Neal or win in a decision. So this should be a very exciting fight. And uh, looking forward to the last card of 2020. Now, before we wrap up, I just want to touch a little bit on uh, some soccer stuff. You know, I used to be a big soccer fan. Not so much anymore. But, you know, I still like to watch some of the big games. So the UEFA Champions League has done their draw. You know, they've done the group stage. They've done their draw for the knockout stages. And in the round of 16, we have some very, very interesting matchups. So we have PSG uh, going up against Barcelona in, uh, in the round of 16. Messi versus Neymar. Uh, Neymar going up against his old team. There's a lot of storylines there. Another interesting one, we have Liverpool versus Lespig. That's going to be an interesting one. Love to watch Liverpool and Mo Shala play. Uh, other than that, we have... Atletico Madrid and Chelsea is a really, really interesting matchup. One of the best teams in Spain against one of the best teams in Britain. That's going to be a good one. And uh, Sevilla and Dortmund is another really interesting one that I'm looking forward to watching. So we're going to see who comes out of the out of the first round of 16 in the UEFA Champions League. I'm, I'm really looking forward to PSG versus Barcelona. I think that's got uh, the most interesting storylines. And it's got a lot, a lot, a lot of really good players. So that if, if any of these games are going to be watched by me, it's definitely going to be the first and second legs of the PSG versus Barcelona round of 16 matchup. All right, we did it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for watching or listening to this first episode back of the Triple S podcast. I want to thank everyone who tuned in. If you haven't already, you know, subscribe on your platform of choice, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. If you're on YouTube, make sure you like this video as well. And make sure you guys are leaving comments as well because I love to hear what you guys have to say about what I have to say. If there's something I got wrong, definitely do not hesitate to jump in the comment section and correct me. 
If you have an opposing view, I would love to hear that too. I'll always do my best to respond to all the comments. Uh, you can also hit me up on uh, Instagram at the Triple S Podcast, and uh, we'll have some Discord there as well. So thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Be safe. Happy holidays. We out. Yeah. This be a life, no gimmick.